voices yeah. are just incredible, right? Yeah. And for me, uh, yeah, there's there's a lot to be said with voices because a sound, like many other sounds we listen to, like birds and animals, are soothing and pleasant and they also can be, you know, the opposite, you know, mm-hmm. cries for help, but are all good ways to communicate. And personally, I, I find voices um, super important. And yeah. it's something that I pay a little more attention to than I think a lot of others. Yeah. And not just like confidence. Um, so you can, t- you know, typically you can hear confidence or, or arrogance when it doesn't actually match up with your uh, background of what you know. Yeah. Um, but like you're, you know, the first thing you notice when you meet someone is what you see. And the second yeah. thing is going to be what you hear. Yeah. And you know, you learn more about someone from what you hear. Uh, but even then that first little bit, if someone's got a, a, a nice voice or something, it, it, you know, it can, I definitely think it would help, especially on the phone too. Um, I would always pick up the phone at most jobs, you know, I'd introduce myself. And the first thing I would do is ask how, how someone's doing. Mm. And then whether they were calling me cause they were upset or anything, it always kind of like chilled everything down. And I used, uh, um, I read I read a book on negotiating. Uh, Chris Voss never split the difference. He was like this old. Um, he's not old, I guess, but he he started his work, I believe, in the seventies, eighties, with negotiating. So he was in the field for quite a while. Um, I mean, that's when he started policing. Doesn't matter. He mentions when negotiating with hostages or even with anyone, if you're concerned about uh, the emotions taking over, he literally calls it the late night FM. DJ voice where you just you talk very like you know slow low, low use your inflections yeah. you know like hey Jay how's it going yeah well are you you know are you sure you need that much money or you know would would maybe less money be reasonable yeah. you know and like asking well how am I supposed to do that yeah um that's a good question yeah that's actually that's the number one thing that I took away from it he says to take away when you're negotiating ask them how am I supposed to do that and that reminds me of um I think there was a fellow called uh, from Black Swan That's him. That's, that's him. That Bla- yeah, him. Black Swan Company. That's okay. that's the guy. That's Chris Voss. Fantastic. I've seen quite a few things from him and uh, that's exactly the question that I remembered because it is such a good question. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I used it um, like when I used to work for uh, Came Civic Rail in, in Canada here. Um, I would have to call up municipalities, right? And because I'd have a, I'd have a board order and agreement with municipality that a certain railroad crossing, like you know, the the city and the railroad cross, uh, typically dependent on who was there first, which a lot of the time was the railroad. Um, they would be billable for the asset, like they, you know, we were there first. You wanted to put a road over our tracks; our tracks were there first. Um, the board order uh, put together by the um, the rail transportation commission. I can't remember what it used to be called. Like some of these doc, some of the documents that I've, I'm using to enforce are from like 1907. Um, like really old. It's, it's cool. And you're trying to figure out what they mean and how to interpret everything, yes. like how to interpret them to benefit. Like my job was to benefit the company. So how do I interpret this to benefit the company without harming the relationship with the municipality? And so mm-hmm. someone would be like, you know, like, Oh, like, um, I'd send off information like a year in advance. Like, oh, well, well, why isn't it mailed? Well, um, you are one of hundreds, if not thousands, of municipalities that I have to deal with across the network. CP spans all of Canada and into the U.S. We have over a 1,000 miles of track. Um, you could probably hear that I've said this a lot, right? And just, and I 
can't, um, even just in my little territory, there are, there are so many municipalities I have to deal with that I can't just be mailing everything. It, it will make it easier. Like I will be able to provide better service to you by sending you an email. And that's why I sent an email. Um, and, and that is the, the standard practice of, uh, life nowadays between companies, between people, uh, emails, phone calls, I'll send an email and then I'll call you to try and make sure that you get back to me, make sure you notice. And, you know, their response was, you know, well, you know, we can't, you know, afford or how are we going to get the money or something like that? I said, Hey, you know, like, unfortunately that's that, that is not my problem, but I can point you in direction of these resources, um, where you can request federal funding from the government and this and that. And, Oh, well, I can't see why we can't just do this. And I said, well, you know, like, how am I supposed to do that? Mm-hmm. And they get thinking, they're like, Oh yeah. And it's like, Oh, okay. So like, you know, CP exists, it's big, it's got a lot of money, but the biggest thing that I stress is if I, if, if CP was told you must comply with every request from every municipality, they would go bankrupt within a year. And it's just how municipalities and government work. Mm. They ask, they will ask and ask and ask. And, you know, CP and very much when I was in the role, I was constantly trying to work with and like, if it benefits both of us, like I even, even, you know, if you're ever working with someone, right. And they come to you and say, Hey, we got this bill, you know, look at it. Is there other work that you can get done at the same time that they're like, that they're going to bill you for? Is there something that you guys can do together? And you know what? Sometimes if the, if the community was poor and they're like, you know what? We don't actually need this crossing. Can we remove it? I might even remove it for free. Right. Like I might even just be like, cause sometimes like the crossing is just like, it's just a bunch of planks. Yeah. Right. And it's like, okay, I just want you guys to go grab cement blocks and block off the road. As soon as it's blocked off, we're going to come in and we're just going to unscrew these planks and we're going to pull them out and that's it. We won't, we won't charge you for removing the planks. We won't charge you for anything. Just if you're willing to do that, we'll just, we'll, you know, like we'll help you because the, the net gain from this is that, I have now an asset that's no longer fixed and I'm going to have less, you know, uh, troubles with a track. It's safer for everyone because anytime you cross a rail track, you know, that is, that is dangerous. Um, like it's, you know, if, if it fails, it's catastrophic. And if, uh, if I can, if I can, if I can leave happy and you can leave happy and, and, and we're spending money and we're making money, then like, that's, that's a good place to be. Yeah. And to me, there's a lot of social capital in, doing something like that for the municipality. And I think I have a follow-up question on mm-hmm. that, and that's essentially how do you envisage working with the UAE government and maybe do they have municipalities that you need to also align with or work with? Well, before I get to that... Um Thanks for coming on the podcast. I'll answer that question. This is the Canadian-specific podcast, not specifically about Canada. Uh, I'm your host, Jaden Marshall, and today I've got Jay on. Jay, I don't actually even know your last name. Johnson. Jay Johnson. That's oh my it. goodness, Literary. that's a that's like cowboy. That's a cowboy <laughs> name. Yeah. Even you know, if for our deaf listeners out there that can't hear, um, Jay's you know does not quite sound from Canada. Um, <laughs> you're you're from Australia, correct? Yeah, from Sydney, Australia. Sydney, Australia. Well, thanks for coming on. Jay and I met at a, at a party and that he hosted. Um, and very interesting. I wanted to get to know him. And I, I think, well, I'm excited to talk to you. I think everyone should be, 
if you know if people are listening, I think they'd be interested to hear from you. But you were wondering, um, how does the municipality system work there? Well, the first thing to note is this railway is being built as part of the GCC countries. Um, while I'm talking, I'm just going to pull up what that means again. But it's five Arab countries that want to build a railroad. Mm-hmm. To, I mean, if I was to put out, I, I don't know what their official post or stance is, but if I was to put something out, right, I'd be like, try to revolutionize the, co- uh, the economy, right? Those would be the words I use. But realistically, it would be to improve logistics in the area. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a gulf. There is lots of opportunity to ship things by water. But to have, if you have a railroad connecting all these countries, you know, it's still a vast area. You're going to take trucks off the road and, you know, you can move a lot more industrial stuff with rail than, than you can on a road. Um, and so I, I think it'll benefit the area. Um, and, you know, like Jay had mentioned, I'm you know, expected to go over there pretty quick here. Um, it's not, you know, I won't be there until I'm there. So I'm still, you know, lenient, but I, I'm, offic- I'm officially playing uh, the, the going away party. So that's, you know, I'm, I'm committed now to, to get rid of my stuff. So it, that's how likely it feels to me. We'll see how that goes. But it is driven by the government. And I think what they're also trying to do is I talked about crossings. Specifically, I talked about at-grade crossings. Those are dangerous. But if you have a separated grade crossing, that's where, you know, either the road or the railway goes over the road. Um, typically, the railway is going to stay put because it's mm-hmm. hard to get those, you know, to adjust the track. Um, for the trains to go over the um, the rail than, say, having a, a road go over the rail. Um, sorry, the trains to go over the road than the road to go over the rail. So, um, but let's see, GCC countries. What does it stand for again? I wonder if this is like a translation thing. Gulf Cooperation Council. There you go. And uh, it's uh, Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, Bahrain, Qatar, UAE, and Amman. Okay. Oman. I hope I pronounced that right. And yeah, so I, because it's top down directed um, and, and very much more government run, I think how that will be established, they'll, they'll, they'll probably have a really good, you know, like municipal relations department um, set up. And because it's been freshly built, they probably had like lots of talks beforehand. Like we're going to put a railroad through here. Can we look at separating the grade for the crossing? Um, you know, I, I, I don't expect there'll be tons of at-grade crossings because they have the opportunity to, to build it now. Um, separated grade crossings are much more expensive than at-grade crossing, but you have to maintain at-grade crossings a lot longer. Like a separated grade crossing can be viewed as like a bridge. And some of the bridges mm-hmm. at CP have been up for, you know, hundreds of years. Sorry, over 100 years. Um, railroad's not that, that old, but very old. Um, I think it's 1881 is when CP started, you know, probably should have had that memorized while I was there, but I don't work there anymore. Um, but that was the OG railroad in Canada, uh, the original one that was built and, you know, went across Canada, connecting it east to west. And they, then roads were built after and trying to build separate, separated grade roads in the 1800s. No. So they were would have all been crossings uh, at grade, um, and mm-hmm. and they have to be repaired. You know they should be going. You know if if done right, if you got a good uh, subgrade, good roadbed, and uh, the the road the road itself is also in very good condition, you could get probably twelve to fifteen years out of it. 
before having to do another reconstruction. And a reconstruction is cutting everything out, putting everything back in. All new, uh, all new material, ballast, um, all that. And it can be quite pricey. They can be anywhere from $150,000 up to like $300,000 up to, uh, I did one in Calgary. Um, so there was, a, there was a traffic circle in Calgary and two railroad tracks that went right through the center. <laughs> like, you know, like, like a piece of modern art. Mm-hmm. Engineering nightmare. Yeah, and we had to fix it, and the drainage was in the area was awful. Mm-hmm. And I ended up lifting one of the tracks, I believe, like eight inches, which is a lot. Oh, wow. It's a it's a lot. Like, that's a lot of ballast material because you know, uh, well, just it was a lot, and it was expensive. And I don't think I can say the price. Um, I'm not sure why. I'm just not going to say the full price, mm-hmm. but I'm pretty sure. It came, uh, definitely came north of five hundred thousand dollars, by up to like fifty or a hundred percent more than that. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the end bill is going to come out to because that would have been figured out this fall uh, after I left. But that was kind of like one of the last major products projects that I worked on, and it was it was beautiful when I left. Like, I was so happy with it. Okay, but I was sitting there thinking like, we have to come up with a plan to separate this crossing. We we have to the next time we do this. Spend, spend the extra couple million dollars, maybe even be tens of millions of dollars, separate the grade and just never do this again. Yeah. It's like, it's just such a pain because, you know, if, if one track goes out of alignment, it can have issues on, like it can start, like it'll, it'll like it's very slow, but like the earth will move. Yeah. It will move very slowly, but if set upright, it won't move, it'll move slower, slower than it, than it would if it not set up properly. And yeah, it's, uh, we put in really good material and it should be good to go, but that was, uh, that was a nightmare project to plan and, and a lot of money and materials. And they asked me to reschedule it um, because of the uh, playoffs because the Calgary Flames were in the oh, playoffs. Wow. And I'm, and you know, like I don't follow hockey. I only follow hockey when the Oilers are in the, you know, the playoffs really. And that's just because, you know, Edmonton area, everyone followed the Oilers. So, you know, I was watching in 2006 as a kid yep. and then just like never watched since. But um, I just, I was just, I was flabbergasted because I was like, you, you like, you realize like, sure, there's, you know, there might be issues with people getting to the game, but we need to get this fixed right away. And once it's fixed, like mm. the, the benefits mm. will be huge. And like, no, 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 like just push it, you know, push it to the right a couple of days or left. I was like, there's real money investments in this <laughs> because you're now offsetting my shift. So that adds more time because people mm-hmm. are going to be like, like shutting down and then a new crew is going to come in and start up. So it might take an extra day. Um, and like, it's just going to move everything around. And, and the, the municipality the, the person who's in charge of like roads is not the same person who's in charge of road closures. If I remember correctly. And I was talking with the city and this other group's like, well, we'll be there. Don't worry about it. But like, I don't have a permit or anything for you until, until, you know, the, uh, this other group, like this other person that works for the city of Calgary contacts me and asks for it. And I was like, Wow. What can I ask for it? Like what, like what's, I'm going to just, I'm going to bill the cost back to you. Mm. Can I ask for it now? How much is it going to cost? I'm going to bill it back to you and I'm going to put, you know, uh, you know, uh, Canadian, uh, transportation, 
overhead approved, sorry, approved overheads mm-hmm. can be up to like 40%. So it's like, if you do this, I'm just going to make money off you. Yeah. But like, you need to get me this. Just like, just, just, just not just do it. Like do the paperwork, just do the paperwork to do the paperwork so we can do this. Don't, don't put this off, yeah. push this off. So, so yeah. And then over there, I don't know. Um, over there, I'll be working more. Like I'm, I'm a, supposed to be a structural engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, we're looking after their uh, their bridges, culverts, camel underpasses. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they fall within the city, I'll have to learn how to talk to those cities and municipalities. And likely, I'd need an interpreter. Maybe mm-hmm. I, I'm not really sure. So that'll be very different. I think that'll be very different and and very similar in many ways. Yeah, it'll pr- yeah the, they'll behave similarly. It'll just take longer um, to uh, to translate, and I guess actually I guess in some ways they'll behave differently because their their business norms will be a little bit different. Like I, mm. if I remember correctly, it's going to be a little bit more chatting, a little bit more um, talking, getting to know each other first instead of getting right down to business. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, how's the wife? How's the kids? Yeah. Oh, I, I'm enjoying your country very much. I just mm-hmm. went this and like you know, long form conversation with tea mm-hmm. and I don't know how long it's going to take. That's going to be something I'm going to have to get used to, but it might be nice in the end. Then when I come back to, if I ever leave and go somewhere else and it's very regimented, I'm probably going to have a hard time adjusting to that. Yeah. There'll be a, a transition period for sure. But I think that'll be something, um, again, as you mentioned, a different experience, but something that you'll draw from mm-hmm. and maybe even enjoy and miss. Yeah. Once you do find another project as well after this, what I'm interested to hear is maybe also, will you learn some of the language? Is that on your radar? I want to. I won't. I'm not. I, I'm not supposed to need it for the job though. Mm-hmm. But I would. I would like to. English is definitely going to be the business language out there. Um, I've got Duolingo. I started trying to do some learning and stuff, and then I kind of got busy this last week, but. When I first get there, my wife will be in Canada. I'll be there. Hopefully there's a way we can kind of like pair ourselves up onto a lingo or something where uh, we can, uh, you know, challenge each other to get through the courses and make it a competition. And, but I would, I would love to pick up another language. I was, uh, cause you know, Canada bilingual was very interested in picking up French, but outside of Canada, not, not that useful. Mm-hmm. Even in Canada, not actually that useful unless you want to become a government worker. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it looks good on a resume. Like that would definitely help, but you probably never use it. Or at least I wouldn't for you know the industry that I'm sort of in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, over there, I think like I think learning something like Arabic would be very interesting. And then you have something that people will instantly latch on to when they meet you later. And then like I can, f- I'll be able to form a connection with, uh, you know, an Arab living outside exactly. of, of the, you know, Arabia, the area. And, uh, we'll just be able to talk and like very quickly, you know, I think they'd be very friendly. And I, you know, I think, uh, I think a lot of people like it when you try and learn their, you know, their language and their culture and, and go there, you know, to learn instead of just like set something new up. And, uh, I think it'd be very interesting, but I think it will be very difficult, completely different alphabet written backwards. Sounds are fairly different, but I, you know, and, but I don't even know, like, 
I don't know what a Canadian accent in Arabic is going to sound like. <laughs> like. It'll be interesting, but <laughs> we'll see. Like, I wonder if it'll be like offensive to them or something. <laughs> I think it'll be funny. Uh, yeah, it probably would that's be. That's something you should hold on to. Because yeah. At one point, you'll maybe not sound like uh, a foreigner, and you might sound more like a local uh, once your your language mm-hmm. develops. But uh, initially, I think that's a very good thing to sound. A yeah, different. I should I should uh, either translate a or just keep a in my in my <laughs> lexicon, even though I'm speaking in a different language. Hold on to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that'd be so funny. You know, inshallah, a. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, and so speaking about travel and stuff, like you yourself, so you know, you're in Australia. Like, can you tell me like your story? Because you didn't just go Australia to Canada. What, like, how long were, like, you, did you grow up in Australia for, were you anywhere before Australia, or is that, like, that's the, that's the home ground? That's home ground, okay. so, uh, grew up in the 80s, 90s as a kid in Australia in Sydney, it was a great time, mm-hmm. um, first travel experience was, well, first living away from home experience was Germany in Leipzig, Wow, uh, a great spot there, I did a, a gap year uh, for a year, learned the language there, studied uh didn't go to school <laughs> which uh, is also a lot of fun and yeah. uh the germans are great and this the germans are funny wow uh contrary to the popular belief and and simple stereotypes the germans are a, a good time i've heard that i um uh real quick um, and then I'll, I'll let you get back to it when i went on tour my boss was uh canadian but also german and then studied mm-hmm. a, did a a year or two uh, as like staff college in Germany and like mm-hmm. learned, learned German. And he like, yeah, he, I think he said something along those lines. So like they're, they're all so funny and they're there for a good, you know, they're there for a good time to like work hard, play hard mentality. And mm-hmm. just like, it's, I think, is their humor dry or what is their humor like? Yeah. it. Yeah. I would say that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And it's quite, it sounds weird. with a deadpan delivery too. Yeah. It's uh yeah. You have certain characters that's okay. Definitely stick out in your mind. Fair enough. Okay. That makes sense. This is, that's, that's kind of, uh, he's definitely, I think more Canadian humor, but uh, some of his, uh, some of his delivery was just like super dry and deadpan. Yep. So, <laughs> so you were just in Germany for a year? Yeah. So I spent a year with a group called uh, EF their um, education first okay uh, which is the the brand um that they that i did this exchange with and mm-hmm. so they put me with a host family in uh Tauha, uh which is a small place outside of leipzig uh leipzig itself is a fantastic place um really good way for me to be exposed to the culture and learn the language and mm. i think maybe similar to you it's once I was there, because I didn't speak a lick of German before yeah. I went over there. Yeah. Um, once you're immersed in it and you hear it on the radio, you hear it in conversation, you see it in the paper. Once all these things come together, you'll have these different exposure points. You know, neuroscientists say six to eight exposures and, you know, it kind of sits with us. Yeah. So if you have that every day, uh, you're going to pick it up a lot quicker. I know at least for me, my German, I think after the six month mark, it sort of just exponentially just grew hmm. by the end of the uh the year uh, i was fluent and i still wow. retain uh, a fair amount it's still very rusty at the moment yeah but um it's something that uh stays with you and as you said you have these connections to people and places that you can't foresee in the future yeah but you know 
if those come across at some point, you have a really good um, common meeting place with people. And I think that's a, a wonderful thing. Yeah, I couldn't imagine the surprise of being German, traveling to Canada, meeting an Australian, and he just starts speaking German to you. Yeah, exactly. that, w- that would be funny. That'd be something you're going you're gonna to tell people about when they get home. Yeah. You know, they're going to share the story like, you know, oh, it was beautiful. And there's this one Australian guy in Canada. Oh, my goodness. What a ball. <laughs> That'll yeah. be it. And, and a Canadian guy who speaks Arabic, right? Yeah, eventually. Hopefully. Yeah. Hopefully. I'm going to, I want to try and stick with that. Um, yeah. But the, uh, I guess uh, it'll be very Anglo though. Uh, I'm, I'm still learning and, and I hope I'm not, my biggest concern is that I, I don't want to get there and like know everything because I, I won't. And, and when I went to Kuwait, I did learn a lot. But I think Abu Dhabi is a bit more businessy. And Dubai is a bit more like Las Vegasy, mm-hmm. um, I think. And I've I've asked that of people, and most people have said yes. There might be some more nuance to that. So with that though, my my concern is practice. But I think if I if I seek it out, I'll be fine. Mm-hmm. But if I I just don't want to not seek it out and then not practice and try, because if all I'm doing is on my phone, I could probably make it work. But I don't. I think it'll be tougher. Did you use Duolingo or anything? Any? How did you learn the language? How did you do that? So back in 2005, yeah. um, I wasn't aware of Duolingo if it was out by then or any other apps that um, were around at the time. So I don't think that would have been, no. For me, it was trial and error. Good old-fashioned, just, you know, if you're hungry, you got to learn how to ask for something to eat. So you learn the language pretty quickly. Uh, so it was school with the host family, and then reading, and then uh, obviously any other communication channels like radio, TV, mm-hmm. music. Um, what is uh, What type of literature is Germany famous for? Do they do, is there like a, a set of books? Because I think one country, it might not be Germany, but isn't there a country that they, like almost all the fairy tales came from? I don't think it's Germany, but is there is there something like that that Germany, German literature is known for? Yeah, I think you're spot on with that. It, I think it was the Grimm brothers. Oh, okay. Um, the Grimm fairy tales. So yeah. these, um, from what I read, grotesque. Yeah. Um, essentially, the stories themselves. Yeah. But there was kind of grotesque and really sort of nasty uh, mm. in many ways. Uh, stories uh, to, I think kind of help kids be disciplined yeah essentially you know um and then um walt disney sort of you know fancy fancified them and yeah. made them a, a lot more appealing to the general public but i think yeah. a lot of them a lot of the fairy tales are based off all of the the Grimm brothers which i believe were german as well i watched the documentary on that um and that was that was also very interesting. So yeah, that's where they stem from. But even then, that documentary, they looked back years and years and weren't quite sure where the fairy tales came mm, from okay. originally. So before the Grimm brothers put the collection together, um, that we'd, we'd have to do a bit more research on. But that I, yeah, huh. that and, was interesting. And Some great musicians out of Germany as well. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, what? Uh, like, and so. You, you, there was some school stuff. You didn't show up to your classes. What did you What did you do? Did you hike lots? Like, what did you do? Yeah. So, okay. uh, well, Germany was great because um, so the town that I was in, it was um, it, it was Leipzig, and it the, it has a rich history. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, walking around, you think an Australian kid growing up, you know, in Sydney, we have some history. Mm-hmm. I mean, Australia was founded in seventeen eighty eight. So just then, you can think of the architect 
architecture that was going on at that period of time mm-hmm. compared to the architecture that had been for many centuries in mm-hmm. what is Europe, which yeah. I find incredible. Uh, so for me, walking the streets, uh, I noticed a lot about the architecture, also the German people themselves, how the culture helped define and also guide uh, Germans at the time and how they... Um, how they carried themselves, mm-hmm. uh, which was endearing in many ways. And uh, I was a little not so um, defined, let's say. <laughs> and, and it was it was great. I have this one photo. Uh, yeah. I, I took, I think it was a, a disposable camera. I took yeah. it in one of my last days in class. Uh, and of course, it's dark, right? I mean, Northern Hemisphere people understand that in January, even, you know, even at seven or in the morning, it's still kind of oh, dark. Yeah. Um, and for me, it was another new experience, right? So this is uh, my first eye-opening experience to many things that I um, had thought were true. And um, I have one, I just opened the door in class and I snapped a photo and you just see the teacher's face. It's like, oh, here's Jay again. <laughs> and of course I'm late. So... <laughs> So I'm late, it's not, right? It's not it's very not German. Uncommon. <laughs> <laughs> so I just, I found, oh. I still have that photo at home. And it's just, it's funny because I think, uh, you know, I, you know, although I had respect for the school system in yeah. some ways, I also understood that uh, uh, I, I wanted to try things my way as yeah. well at times. And, and yeah, so I think I found a good balance there between play and, and work. Right on. And then um, what happened after Germany? Germany, back to Australia, mm-hmm. uh, finished the business degree. Um, yeah, after the business degree, got a corporate job yeah. working for a, a payments company called Tyro in the fintech space. Sales job all over Australia, you know, you know yeah. the, the, the modern yeah. man's yeah. path. Right? Yeah, that's where we get sold. Yeah, exactly, right? So, you know... I checked out that path i walked and wandered on that a little bit and then um uh realized that you know that's kind of cool if you want to spend your life you know in that sort of a pursuit working uh, for the man yeah and it wasn't really kind of my thing um and so my next um uh my next opportunity came when i could go to france actually and that was at the time when i was uh applying for the military for intelligence officer as well i had a moment where i could either go down the military route or um head over to france and play some rugby for monaco and um finish off my degree over there actually that's right and uh so i chose uh Rugby and, and France, the south of France. Oh, oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's a hard sell. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I, I think I like this, the idea of military, um, yeah. personally, just a little bit of structure and the camaraderie. Um, but I think some maybe some of the hardline rules uh, I think I would have struggled with. Yeah. Um, so I, again, chose uh, France, playing rugby and finishing off my degree there. And uh, that was another wonderful experience. Immersed myself in that language. Picked up some French. Wow. And, yeah. Um, yeah, that led into a whole number of things. Yeah. So, okay, the number of things here. First one, uh, rugby. My brother just started playing rugby, actually, and he, he played his first game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, 
just a couple of years younger than me. And actually, the other team was short players. So the first game he ever played, he played for the other team. Good man. <laughs> and uh, when did you start playing rugby? Uh, so that was back in, I guess, 96. Okay. 97. So, it was so as a kid. Yeah, at school. Okay. So, so we have a couple of different rugbies in Australia. So mm-hmm. we have rugby league and rugby union. Uh, the common uh, adage for that is um, rugby league is a a gentleman's game played by rogues and rugby union is a is played by gentlemen and a game of rogues okay or something along those lines yeah. so uh there well, there is some sort of class distinction there which is kind of ridiculous what is the difference um well, are there a difference to the rules or just like there's, oh, okay yeah there's there's a few different uh rules uh largely a similar game mm-hmm. um you try and put the ball over the other line yeah you try and stop the other team yeah and uh how they go about it it's just a little bit different um and there's a lot of complexity in that but for uh for a simple um quick explanation it's um rugby league is you have six attempts to try and um, to try and score, mm-hmm. and then you have to hand over the ball. Whereas rugby union, you keep it as long as you can, mm-hmm. and it's up to the other team to either get the ball from you or to, um, or, or if they lose it. So, which well, one did you play? I played both. So okay. rug- rugby union at school. So uh, growing up, school we played um, rugby union, uh, kind of big in in certain circles in Australia, and we played against a number of uh, good schools. So um for anyone out there that might listen later on um newington college and hunters hill some really good uh rugby schools and good rugby people came out of there actually played with one guy who um well two guys uh curtly bill plays for the national team laurie weeks also played a game for the national team as well curtly bill's done fantastic he was a a year younger than me at school and mm-hmm. um, even at that stage you could see he had a lot of potential great hands and um, at that time as well when I knew him was really good that was a boarding school and okay. that also I think had an impact on the players and the, the team it's just you know dudes being together and yeah, yeah what else are you going to do um, I think that goes well so, okay so then you, you wanted to join the military as an intelligence officer um, why intelligence like did you know or did you just go on a website and like a couple like i i found the number one thing i learned about getting into the military is you have no idea what it's gonna be like on the other side like it's a it's a it's a wall and now it's probably easier with like more technology but like you know you think you know but you don't know <laughs> yeah and for me um i'm i'm, I'm very open um, mm-hmm. and open to experience and i think for me um intelligence officer uh, appealed to me apart from pilot um uh, so that was that was what I was essentially narrowing in on. So that for me was, I would like to, I sort of said to the interviewer, I said, I'm coming here, I want to be an intelligence officer or a pilot. And the pilot I pushed aside. Um, so I said, I'm here to become an intelligence officer. And um, and that was my goal for that conversation was to, to chat to him about that. And this was like same time when you got like kind of, as you were being processed, you got the opportunity to the, to go and you took the other adventure. Adventure, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So for me, that was just yeah, it's timing, right? It's, yeah. Uh, sometimes you're left with choices and you you make one. So. Yeah. Um, and that was it because we were going to go down to the 
they have a, a system in Australia um, for maybe your Australian comrades or the the Anzacs, uh, like the Royal Military College down in Dunchroon. So mm. I was actually quite looking forward to that uh, experience had I chosen it. Um, but uh, I think, uh, I think, you know, I chose uh, another one and I think it's just as equally as good. Yeah, I um, we have the Royal Military College too, uh, RMC, um, out in uh, Ontario. And uh, yeah, I, I graduated high school. I was thinking about it, but like, you know, like I wasn't, my family wasn't strapped for cash, but, you know, it would have probably been nice to like, you know, not worry so much about that. Um, and like, I used to be, uh, I used to be a, a cadet. Um, I don't, I didn't, I didn't tell a lot of people that in the military, if you're a cadet and you're listening to this, when you go into the military, just keep it quiet, understand where you're at. Like if you're more capable than others, great, help them. Mm-hmm. If you know, just don't, it's, it's nothing to be ashamed of, but it is one of those things where like there's enough people, uh, enough people have had bad experience with cadets um, that uh, it, it gives a bit of a bad rap. And, and the bad experience was usually something along the lines of like, you know, trying to correct everyone and, and like, you know, you're, you're there to learn with people. Mm-hmm. And if you want to teach, teach your peers, don't, don't try and teach the staff. Like these are people, this is their job, Yeah, right? You're just starting. Like you had a hobby beforehand. Um, but anyways, it's, it's, it's all fine. And, and anyone can recover from a fall. I think like if you're like, I, I've seen a lot of people in my military career come in, you know, they're not, maybe not super switched on or, you know, there's something that's not quite jiving, mm-hmm. but then like with time, all of a sudden, like that's like, they, they, they'll go from, that's the person I'm concerned about to that's the person I go to. Oh, wow. If they become like, I've seen people become like my go to mm-hmm. when I need something. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. Um, but I decided to not apply for RMC. I got in at McCune University for engineering, studied engineering. Um, after I finished school, I learned that, yeah, RMC would have been terrible. Unless, like, if you're taking an arts degree, and I'm not, I, you know, I love giving art students a hard time, but like, if this is what you want to do, go do it. Like, mm. I'm not going to tell you no. But if you're taking an arts degree, you have a lot more time if you're taking an engineering degree or something more related to um like work or or a job or just like the that are very demanding degree mm-hmm. and you're trying to do military stuff at the same time while in school like on the same time like every single day yeah um that's going to be rough and you might not make it through um and then i think because of that you know this is an unpopular opinion but i don't you know if you want an engineering degree I think you will have a better opportunity becoming a good engineer by studying at a regular school than the military school. Mm-hmm. Not that the people are bad. They're just, they have to do two levels of learning, military learning and uh, collegial learning um, at the university level uh, versus um, and what I ended up doing, which also probably would be a better engineer if, um, well, I don't know, that's a, it's a weird thing. I would, so I, I did fine in school at the end of my first year, I applied to join the reserves and work part-time. Mm-hmm. So I was like one Wednesday a month, a week in a month, it would work as a good part-time job. They promised me four summers of training, mm-hmm. um, or just like there was training in the summer. So then in the summers I knew that I had employment. 
Yep. Um, they then came out after my first year with a full-time summer employment program. So if you're in your first four years of the Army, they guarantee you summer job every single year that you want it while, mm-hmm. while you're in school. And that was huge, guaranteed work. Um, and so I would, though, like I, I, I really enjoyed my time in the military. I mm-hmm. didn't always enjoy my time in university. I thought what I learned about was cool, but mm. they really, like it's so competitive and like, there's a lot of like in university, there's a lot of cheating going on. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're competing. Like I knew when I got there, like, yeah, I never really studied in high school, but I knew there's like, there's no way I'm going to be the smartest person there. And I wasn't even like the smartest in high school. Um, there were, like, I was not a valedictorian and I don't think I should have been the valedictorian there. And my one buddy who was the val, one of the valedictorians, I think, or he was the valedictorian. He went to university too to study engineering and we went through school our first year together. And then he went to mining mm-hmm. and like that guy, that guy's way, that guy's smarter than me, works harder for it. Um, my first year I would just go to school and then I would study and then I would sleep and then go to school, study, sleep. And I made it through with a reasonable grade, but like at, you know, some, some mental health. Um, Cause like I was inside all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, Grant McEwen, it's just like a city block, no green space yeah. and winter you get everywhere by Pedway. So I was just never outside except mm-hmm. when I went home and I went, I went home to the acreage, my parents acreage every weekend oh, for my yeah. first year. And then my second year went to the U, U of A little, Last, I wasn't I wasn't there every single weekend, and by the third or fourth, like I was visiting once or twice a month, but you know it wasn't a as you know homesick. And part of that was because I joined the army, so I met a, a wonderful group of people who were very dedicated to like uh, excellence, mm-hmm. and I became you know uh, also enamored with their excellence. And like I I love my unit. Um, unfortunately, I have to leave the unit. I'll actually I think I'm putting in my papers today. To release so that I can go overseas. Um, but I had a lot of support. I had men at various stages of their life that I could talk to about everything. Mm-hmm. Um, and not that, and like before it was mostly just like my dad. And like dad was a great resource, um, but he had only done one route. Um, and like he did it very well. Like mm-hmm. incredibly capable. But like now I'm in the... I don't know. Now I'm in the city. Like one of the things, like I could never tell if a girl liked me mm-hmm. and then they'd be like, just point them out. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, how do you know that? Oh, well this, this and this. Oh, did you notice this? I was like, holy smokes. And the craziest part is they were right. Like they, they weren't wrong. And this isn't, this isn't like the, the, the pickup artists or anything. These are just regular dudes who've been around long enough and can tell when people are making eyes at people. That's it. Right. And it's just like, I never had that. Like I was very, I was, I was outgoing um, and social, but I still consider myself slightly socially awkward. Like I, I say that I, I learned to be social. I wasn't, mm-hmm. I wasn't, but like, but I was born talking. Mm-hmm. So, but like the, the, you know, sometimes I'd say things that wouldn't quite fit this or that, like mm-hmm. growing up all the time. But like, I, I love learning. I love talking. And eventually I learned how to talk better. Yeah. Um, and that kind of part of why I wanted to start this podcast was also to, practice talking mm-hmm. um and not that i want to become an interviewer i don't even think that's what these are about i just like having conversations um but while in school i my marks were okay uh but not great 
And actually, at one point, I was on academic uh, probation mm-hmm. uh, because of like my my low marks. And actually, I I, I did come back from one summer of training. That was like I, that was that was not a very good experience. That was the worst experience I've had with the military. Um, mm-hmm. Some people have great experience the whole way through. Some people will have a terrible experience the whole way through. And some people, most most of everyone, it's mixed. You're going to have mm-hmm. great times, bad times. Like you know, your work is highly stressful. It's in like terrible environments whether it's cold like you know you're not mm-hmm. your your training isn't always like early morning 20 degrees nice sometimes it's really cold sometimes it's super hot mm. and being from alberta i thought i knew what heat was go training cage town i was like what like what do you mean the you know air won't wick away my moisture because it's so <laughs> humid why isn't my towel drying like just things that like you'd never think of or consider and uh yeah wild but cage um, town's in New, New Brunswick. Brunswick. Yeah. 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 It's actually a very beautiful area. Um, but it's, it's, you, it's definitely not as, uh, well off financially mm. compared to the rest of Canada. And like a lot of the military stuff is a big driver of the economy over there. Mm-hmm. Um, Oromocto is the town just outside and that's where all the military people live mm-hmm. and where a bunch of stuff gets sold to military people. Mm-hmm. And like they, they run it like, you know, Cage Town's a pretty, I don't know. I like the training area. Not everyone does, mm-hmm. but um, it's very, very different than Alberta. But as I, um, so I, I kind of had some issues with my grades and then I went in to talk with, uh, I think, uh, assistant Dean, or I can't remember what he'd be called. Mm-hmm. I go talk to him. He notices on my hat, I have a little, like, Canadian Army emblem. Mm-hmm. Um, and he asked me, like, oh, are you in that? He's like, yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I'm, uh, you know, working part-time in the reserves engineer. He's like, oh, I was an engineer in Britain. Oh, wow. And he was, uh, he was a combat engineer in Britain. Or I guess it would be a field engineer at, the, at, at his time. How about that? It was wild. And he's like, oh, just get your grade to this mark and then, you know, carry on through. And uh, that was the mark that I got. No more, no less. I got I got the the two point six that I needed to continue, and then good man. And then uh, went off and trained again. And then I graduated. Um, and I went on tour. And actually, I was training before convocation. And I had to ask the army, "Hey, I'm going to miss some training. Can I go graduate?" Mm. And at first, they were all upset because I was asking something. I was like, "No, no, no like, I've already done this. Yeah, it's fine." They're like, "Oh." Yeah, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. He's like, okay. <laughs> that's very true. Cause you, there's no other, there's no other workplace like that where like they have complete control, mm-hmm. but th- they maintain that by like holding leadership as like the utmost importance yeah. and like trying to root that out. And, um, uh, recently they've had a lot of people get out of the army, um, possibly do the poor leadership, but also like COVID was a tough time in the army. Cause mm-hmm. you don't, you don't join the army to sit at home. No. And, if you are great at your job in the army, you're going to be even better at your job as a civilian mm. is what I've found. Some yeah. things don't translate very well, but like the, the switched on guy who's eager to learn. Yeah. Mm. And, and one of the things that I really did like about the army while I was there, well, I mean, I guess I'm still there until I hand my stuff in. Um, it's a learning organization um, that used to, now they're a bit more relaxed with it, but it used to have, they would say that we, you know, that we had no room for unimaginative leaders. Mm-hmm. And when we were at our best, it's when we followed that. And like, before you move up in rank, training, constantly training, constantly practicing. You know, like imagine if in a corporate world, before you moved up, they sent you for training. Mm-hmm. And then like, you're removed from your old space. So you're no longer in the headspace of, this is what I do every day. Mm-hmm. So when you come back, you're not going to try and do your old job. No. They're training you how to do a new job and how to, how to work with people. And usually they're training you to do two levels up 
or sorry, like one level above where your next job's going to be. So mm-hmm. you can take over that if needed. And then you go uh, and you come back and you fill the role. So like I, I started out, I started, um, I was an officer uh, the full way through. I showed up. There were like no officers before me or very few that had ever joined as an officer mm-hmm. and then stayed for some reason. A lot of them, uh, either they got them too late, they weren't in school and they had like real big full-time careers. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to do the reserves and like, you know, hey, I'm, I want to take off between eight and 16 weeks yeah. for the next three summers. You know, that's that's tough. So getting them in school is very important. Mm-hmm. But I stayed through. I got my commission. Um, actually, my commissioning scroll should be somewhere around here. I'll have to find that. Yeah, I'd be interested. I to got my uh, commissioning scroll. Um, that was awesome. I loved uh, just like... Yeah, and then I was I was the troop commander, so I was in charge of the troops. I was in charge of forty people, so I'd go to school. I'm like learning stuff, mm-hmm. and like I'd be you know like in the field and like we got to move here and and you know blow this up or do that. So like I was a con- like I was an engineer officer for combat engineer regiment. You know our job is to help our team live, move, and fight while denying the same of the enemy. Um, it's very similar to all you know uh, Commonwealth countries. Mm-hmm. We're very similar to the U.S. as well. Um, and it would be like bridging, uh, heavy equipment, mines, counter IED, mm-hmm. but then like even more stuff. Like if the army's unsure what to do with this new capability, they will sometimes will give it to us. So like water purification, combat diver. Now, hmm. a part-time reserve regiment uh, in Canada is going to have a very difficult time, like maintaining a detachment yeah. that like their sole purpose is like to purify water. Mm. So we don't have that, but we'll send people for that training from some time, from time to time and try and advance their careers. And, and most of the other officers that were there, um, started out as a non-commissioned member and then commissioned, uh, while they were in school or just as they finished school. And, uh, yeah, but it was, it was an incredibly rewarding experience. I met, I've, I met so many amazing people and yeah. soldiers, like what they don't, you know, like when you're playing COD or something, and I'm sure everyone hears this, but like, they don't tell you about like the downtime, like it's a lot of hurry up and wait. Mm-hmm. And everyone just loves to talk. Ah. And so everyone gathers around and talks and discuss this and discuss that. And like, you know, it's a pretty conservative organization, but like testing out ideas, mm-hmm. talking about what's going on in other countries. Like, like one of the, one of the guys that I met that was like the most knowledgeable on Eastern religions uh, was like a pig farmer. Wow. How about that? Yeah. Or like, I guess you call him a ranch, rancher, a pig ranch. Yeah. Um, and like, yeah, and like that's what he learned about because he went to Afghan, like uh, he either went to Afghanistan or was preparing to go and learned about all this stuff. And yeah, and I got in, I got in post Afghanistan, and then I deployed on Op Impact to Kuwait. Twenty nineteen was there for six months. Mm-hmm. It was a training mission. We were headquartered in Kuwait for training missions going on in Lebanon, Jordan, and Iraq. Um, that was a very cool experience. I was there when Soleimani was killed. I was there when the Shia militia groups. Uh, protested, invaded the uh, green demilitarized zone in uh, in uh, Baghdad. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the uh, uh, at the U.S. embassy. Yep. Um, I was there when Turkey invaded northern Syria, and then a whole bunch of ISIS prisoners escaped. And then I'm pretty sure they just went east to Iraq. Mm. Um, I yeah, and and I was there when a couple of oil things got blown up when. I was there when the U.S. pulled out of Syria, and then and then Russia filled that space. Um, it was a like when we sh- when we showed up, there was like maybe one or two rocket attacks a month. Mm-hmm. Just you know we're you know we're not we're not actively ca- conducting offensive operations, 
um, for just training in Iraq. And, you know, the, the Shia militia groups, the people who were um, supposed to be guarding our gates, were the ones rocketing us mm-hmm. once or twice a month. And then it became like, it probably like by the, by the time I left, we were getting rocketed like every other day or like it felt like that. Like it just, it picked up so much. And the only thing that cooled it off, I think was COVID. Oh, wow. Cause I came home. Uh, I came home in January and then I, um, I was looking for work. I was getting paid uh, f- and taking my leave Got a job with CP. Um, re- I had scheduled to drive down to Calgary to conduct the interview. Mm-hmm. And then COVID hit. They rescheduled my interview. And I don't want to break. I was probably the first tele-interview. And I hate those so much mm. now in particular. But I, I did interviewed and I got the job. And I started working for CP right at the start of the pandemic. So super blessed and thankful that the company you know, still hired me and... We were still, I, I worked the entire pandemic mm. and like I was, otherwise I actually had just, I was just about to sign a contract with the army to tell them like you could have me for a year. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause like the economy doesn't look very good. So, um, you know, just have me for a year and I'll do army stuff. Yeah. And I would have been just paid to sit at home, which would have been terrible. Yeah. Um, but when COVID came up, like, are you going to be fighting each other if you're concerned about this virus? Like, <laughs> you know, like let's figure this out. Like instead of like conducting Offent, like, you know, I just, I, I imagine that's what they're thinking. Um, because also no one, they weren't in the news anymore, mm. right? And a, a lot of what these um, kind of smaller, uh, whether they're terrorist cells or these smaller groups um, that have uh, offensive operations going on, they're really trying to leverage um, Western media. Mm-hmm. That's that's the that's the thing. If you can make it in the news, yeah, like that's huge. Especially if especially if you can make it in the news and be like, oh, the U.S. is doing bad stuff. Uh, but alternatively, um, if you make it in the news for you doing bad stuff, it still helps, right? Like back when like ISIS was leveraging social media. Um, yeah, yeah, it was very uh, very interesting. Well, it carries a lot of clout, so you can see why they sort of made that a, a point in point. For their marketing, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, in a not great, great sense, yeah, for sure. And then, um, yeah, I came came back and adjusted. Uh, I it took me probably three months to program my Western brain on like how things work. Like I would assume, mm. you know, oh, is she a militia group? It's a militia. Oh, it it reports to Iraq. Well, no, it's funded by both Iraq and Iran. It more responds to Iran because they're Shia, but it's still a legitimate arm of the defense force in in Iraq, and we're in Iraq, and they're the ones rocketing us at night. But the Iraq military, like the act, like you can't call them actual Iraqis because they're all Iraqis. But the Iraq military was, you know, friendly and wanted stuff, and yeah, it was it was it was wild. With the, I have a question with the bombing. Did you become used to it once it started to become? A daily occurrence, multiple times a day. Is that something that you just uh, adopted as your new norm? So I never was in Iraq because I was just in Kuwait. Um, but everyone that I talked to, even from Afghanistan, like mm. it was like so normal to them. Like there's there's a story, and I'll, I'll never forget this. Um, and I think it just shows like how normalized it does become mm. um, with the rocketing and, and, and stuff from them. I was, it was when they killed, Sol, Sol, when the U.S. killed Soleimani, the expeditionary general of Iran. He landed, he 
and like here's how good the intelligence was like he landed in iraq mm-hmm. and within five minutes he'd hopped in a car they'd driven around the airport and around this wall and he was dead wow plane landed five minutes dead and like confirmed because there's like a photo of like a severed finger with a ring on it mm. and like a photo of him waving at a crowd with the ring on it, and you're like that that's the same ring mm. that's the guy and uh they um so iran then was moving like ballistic missiles into range of where i was in kuwait mm-hmm. and you know i was like well you know uh, I, I knew it was going to be dangerous when i was here potentially yeah. and but you know relatively safe and you know um, we, we were at the mess, we were getting food and someone asked me, uh, you know, Hey Marshall, are you, are you okay? And I said, uh, yeah, I'm doing good. Um, but I have a question, you know, what happens with the rockets start landing? And the response was this, no one made fun of me. No one teased me. They just said, uh, well, you know, by the time you realize what happened, it'll be over. Mm-hmm. So you can either stay in your room or if you follow directions, which you probably should do, go outside, get low get beside a you know like a wall or something that might protect you from shrapnel from one side or another and then yeah. just uh wait to be called out yeah it's like oh okay and and this was someone who had had deployed in the vast and he was a door gunner in afghanistan and yeah yeah uh, by the time you figure out what's going on it'll be over you know? yeah ah, you could just stay there they're not good shots or something like that like because there was still protective measures but i think something like 10 percent or five percent of whatever they you know flung at us might make it through if it's all flown at once yeah um and then but then where the story really gets interesting is my, 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 my coworker, my friend, he then asked me, uh, so you're going to get some ice cream for, for dessert? And I said, well, no, I didn't make it to the gym today. Um, <laughs> I don't, you know, I don't think I can justify ice cream. And I sat there and I thought, wait a second, I might not wake up tomorrow. <laughs> I went and I got a cherry cobbler and I covered it in ice cream and I ate that cherry cobbler. And it was the best cherry cobbler I've ever had. <laughs> um, I bet. And I, but I was just like, and then like, I've taken that story and I've shared it a lot and that's mm-hmm. something I want to take with me forever. And like, you know, you do need to put short term gains aside for long term games. But like, if, if you're not having fun and like, you don't think it's actually going to be that much worth it in the end, like getting an education, I think it's worth it. But like, if you get an education and you're like, I don't really like this, maybe I should go back for another, like. Is there something else you can do without having to go back and do another another four years? Like, unless you like, if you loved school, mm. well, now you're actively enjoying it. Yeah. But if you're thinking, I'm going to put myself through like hell again mm. to hopefully do something because someone told me this is what you're supposed to do in life, like you're you're going to be so unhappy. You got to learn. Like, you most of your life, you're not living in the future. You're living the present. Actually, all of it. And mm-hmm. if you're not happy in the present, you're going to have a very unhappy life. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, eat some ice cream from time to time. But. And wear sunscreen. Probably don't eat too much. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't actually wear sunscreen. I just I just tan. But yeah, other folks should probably wear some sunscreen. Yeah. yeah. Well, that'd be interesting to see how. Uh, so oh. you mentioned the, the dry heat and the humid heat from. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see what it's like for you over there. So Kuwait is just up the Gulf from the UAE and. Well, I, I told the story earlier, you know, I thought I knew what heat was, went to New Brunswick. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, now I know what heat is. You know, we got up to like 40 some degrees. It was insane. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, man, we don't get this. And it's like hot everywhere because it's humid. Mm-hmm. And I went to Kuwait and I showed up at night and it took me like an hour and a half because I was so messed up from like not sleeping to get out of the airport. Mm-hmm. Like it was wild. And then I, I get out and I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, it's kind of warm. You know, it's like, it's like 
30 some degrees at night and it it was 50 it got up to over 50 degrees regularly and like the stuff the stuff that i like learned was stuff that i learned about life is like yeah sometimes your environment's too hot to touch that's why you must have gloves mm-hmm. like you can't just like open a yep. gate without gloves on um sometimes uh oh the wind there it's like an oven so the wind doesn't cool you down it heats you up mm-hmm. and i was i was blown away like that changed my life mm-hmm. knowing that the wind isn't always a saving grace even if it's dry even if it's really dry and uh I, th- I think those were the two big things. And then, yeah, like the sand and the dust getting everywhere was was pretty rough. But it was, I like, yeah. And, like, I knew it was going to be really hot there. But, I like, I I didn't know that level. Because you also have to be covered up. Like, I definitely wore sunscreen there. Mm-hmm. And I definitely, like, I had, like, a scarf on and everything to yep. be covered up to protect yourself. And it was so hot. It's unbelievable. I, that's something that I would like to experience. That yeah. sort of heat. Yeah. In that sort of context as well, maybe not necessarily the military, but the the location for sure. Well, come come over, come visit us in uh, July next year. Oh, if the invitation's open, dude. Oh, um, it's open. Yeah. yeah, I think I'm gonna try and set something up where I'll have like a, a calendar or something for people to populate mm-hmm. um, when they want to come. And like, I would love just to have a constant flow of visitors coming and seeing, and then like, I w- I would love to take this opportunity and just share it. As much mm-hmm. as I can with everyone. Anyone who's, you know, because it's pretty pricey to get over there. But if you don't have to pay for a hotel or anything, mm. the hope is you, you're able to, like, stretch that price out over a two-week or a three-week period. Mm. And, like, the the food and stuff is pretty comparable to, to Canada. A lot of the expenses are actually pretty comparable to Canada. I, mm-hmm. Learning about that made me, like, ask why Canada's so expensive. <laughs> and it's because we live so far apart is one of the biggest reasons. Like, logistic costs are just through the roof mm-hmm. but um no yeah i think that'd be wild um now kind of circling back a little bit you went what, so you went to france and it, you were playing rugby and going to school mm-hmm. what and the schooling was to finish up your business degree yeah and were you there like how many semesters were you there for just one year or how long so i was in france for one year finishing off my degree online which yeah. i was lucky enough to be able to do uh, and i had positioned it where a lot of uh, my tail end stuff was electives. So, yeah. um, so they were interesting subjects and, um, I could spend my time doing that and also enjoying my, my French experience. Right. Um, and for me that was, uh, yeah, another great year, uh, learning and meeting people like, like you've already, um, mentioned before the people you come across and the stories that you hear from people yeah. from unexpected places, yeah. And the unexpected information, uh, it sits with you forever and that's you know, invaluable and it's something you can't get without. It's something that you are exposed to because you took that opportunity and that risk to, to try something new and, and to travel and to, yeah. to put yourself in unknown places and situations. Yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah, I with everyone shutting down for COVID, like, I, so my, my wife was going to school and she still has to pay full price for her 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 tuition, mm-hmm. and like the instruction wasn't as good, and and all of these things. And like my thought would be, like you know, when I have kids, like if they want to do online schooling, like do wherever you want. Like mm-hmm. even if you're just if you're if you're going to like University of Athabasca or 
Athabatha College. I can't remember which one it is in Canada. They do a lot of online stuff. Mm-hmm. Do it and then just don't be here. <laughs> like, yeah. Do it anywhere. Like, and like you get, you get the advantage. I mean, maybe you'd have to like finagle some tax stuff or something like, uh, you get the advantage of having your, your, your tuition partially covered by taxpayers mm-hmm. and you don't have to be in Canada. Yeah. Or be wherever in Canada you want. Like why go up to the, you know, go live in a cabin. Yeah. And then just like make sure you got your, uh, uh, what's it called? Um, Elon Starlight, Elon Musk's GPS. Well, not GPS, but all the satellites that'll hopefully mm-hmm. give everyone internet. Like just have that running. And hopefully it's good enough just to submit your paperwork. And Yeah. Yeah. And it, it seems like the product does work uh, yeah. from Elon Musk. So yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah, it's good. We uh, actually have one up um, at the farm. Um, oh, cool! Up north, so Gitter's folks have uh, Starlink. Is it? Yeah, and Starlink. Yeah, yeah. It comes pizza-sized box. Uh, it does what it says. Um, it seems to work pretty well. So, yeah, th- the accessibility and and basically the learning you can do online. And I mean, even I think Elon Musk and some of the other uh intelligentsia yeah they you know you can learn a lot online uh without any really any standard form of education or a structure um and if you're motivated and driven enough you can understand things pretty well and you can what's what i found crazy and awesome is like the boom of business or like selling and you know moving goods and services Mm. um you you can you can now have access to markets that you would never have access to without the internet. And, you know, like a lot of people like to hate on all these billionaires and stuff, but like, so, 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 you know, if you, if you care about the environment, Elon Musk is making solar panels and he's making cars, but probably the number one impact that he would ever have on humans would be giving like leveling the playing field. Everyone gets internet. Mm. And, and now everyone has access to information and everyone has access to, you know, markets. And if you can, if, you know, if you can get really good at, at making, like Victoria just showed me pretty much the, the timeline of this one girl who I think is in, Ed, no, not in Edmonton. There's one girl who was studying in school, some business type thing, and then was like really good at making like, like prints kind of like on your, on your shirt there, but like a, um, like all the girls nowadays, like it seems to be the rage, all these like floral prints, um, that you can like put on things so you could get like a, like a notebook with like a nice looking print. And that's what she just designs and makes. Mm-hmm. And she went from like doing this as a hobby and to make a little bit of money while in school to like, she just opened up a storefront mm-hmm. and she just like sh- quickly showed me through, like, these were all the steps that it took to get there. And like, and she documented it on her Instagram or whatever. Mm-hmm. So she'll be able to look back on it and her kids and other people can actually study what she did. Exactly. You know, without having to like, you know, go to a school, study all these businesses. You could just like flip through Instagram and watch what people are up to. Yeah. And uh, man, that's amazing. It is. It's incredible. And I think, you know, everyone today at least has a, a good opportunity uh, to with some basic tools to be able to, you know, do something and learn something and then create something uh, of value. And it's incredibly interesting these days. It seems that a lot of people want to see, um, and for me personally as well, whenever I do some research and looking into topics of interest, 
I find myself drawn to people who are, you know, showing me how they're going through their steps, not just, oh, this is what I do and I do it well. Mm. It's how did you go through that? And, oh, you made mistakes, you're human, so am I. So this yeah. is uh, a great thing that I can see. And it's more relatable, right? And it's real and it all works together. So I feel people are looking for a much more authentic um, story along with whatever it is they happen to be selling. Yeah, and, and with like even beyond selling like the actual personality types, like like if you look at YouTube and the biggest personalities on YouTube, people feel legitimate connection. Like mm. I don't care well, sorry, I'm I'm gonna rephrase this. Um yeah, you could be a big um, you know, uh oh, I'm blanking on his name. He played Charles Bronson, he played Bane and Batman, he played Tom Hardy. Tom Hardy. You could be a huge Tom Hardy fan, but can you really say like you know them intimately? Mm. And yeah, they're still selling a product, all these YouTubers, but like people who spend like a significant amount of hours consuming a lot of content can learn a lot about them and they mm. they feel like they're part of it um, in a way that like me watching a movie, I don't feel part of it. Mm. Um, and I think that's very interesting that that's what people want more of. And even the the barrier of entry is so low. Like mm-hmm. before, if you wanted a podcast, it wasn't a podcast. It was a talk show. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you had to be, you know, you were in the States. And, and they, they even found that, like, talk shows that started in the eastern U.S. always got, like, more listeners because they could also be listened to by those in the western U.S. before work. Mm-hmm. So the perfect time slot was... Yep like two things location mm-hmm. eastern u.s and the time where you're going to catch people going to work in uh like new york and uh la mm-hmm. and that's you'll be listened to and i think that i think that was howard stern and the equipment would be expensive and you'd have to have the whole industry to relay everything mm-hmm. the same thing goes with cameras and stuff like you want to make a video to have yeah. good quality but like this is studio quality equipment and I probably spent too much money on it, but I also used it for my wedding. Mm-hmm. I hooked up, um, I had to jerry rig a couple of things, but I was able to like run mics and power things through the soundboard and I could record speeches. Mm-hmm. So I have vid- uh, audio recordings of some of the, Oh no, I didn't do that for my wedding. And I realized I forgot, but I used this for another wedding. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was able to record speeches from the, some of the parents and then like that'll be very special. I've got videos of mine, but just having an audio recording too, I think would be very special. And and it sounds amazing. Yeah. And I spent less than two thousand dollars on it. The alternative back in the nineties was a million dollar conglomerate. Mm-hmm. That's what it took to run something like this. And now it's like now all you need is a phone. Yep. And just record yourself on the phone, post it online. Exactly. Yeah. And and the same for videos. You could you could um I mean, I think TikTok is all done on phones. So you, yeah. I don't know. I'm not a big, not a big TikTok guy. Yeah, I'm not a TikToker. <laughs> TikToker. <laughs> <laughs> the kids, the kids will be listening. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, that's funny. Um, and then did you go? Did you go anywhere after France? Um, so uh, I traveled in amongst that, uh, but my next, I guess my next live away from Australia experience, uh, was Canada. So I came to Canada in 2016 Mm -hmm. and I was not far from Gagetown in 
Moncton, New Brunswick. You were in Moncton. Oh, okay. So I spent uh, about two years there. Why did you go to New Brunswick? Well, that I, it's a nice tail. place, but oh, so, <laughs> so okay. That's essentially the story, and yeah. uh, and it was a good story, and I had a great time in uh, Moncton. I it's still one of my favorite spots in Canada, yeah. and I've seen a limited amount of Canada, but out of the spots that I have seen um, from the east to, to the west coast. It's really beautiful country out there. Mm. It's gorgeous. I remember yeah. I remember being out in the field, right, and you're having a terrible time, and you look around, and you're like, wow, mm-hmm. this is very nice. Yeah, and like you know, everything's in context, and uh, yeah. it's with the people. And Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. I, f- I find, uh, you know, they've got a lot of Irish music out that way as yeah. well. Um, and the Rankin family is something that I was. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know to. of the Rankin family? I know. Oh my goodness. I feel goodness. the same way too. I got to see so. them. I got to see them play. Oh, Al- okay. Talk Alberta, to me about that. Alberta was on fire and, um, Alberta was on fire a number of years ago. Mm. And then like all these artists, like Canadian artists came to like help pay for, I think it was Fort McMurray when it burned up mm-hmm. to help get money to, to donate and like so you had like Dallas Smith you had um, um, Nickelback and like the Rankin family was there and I didn't nice. know they were going to be there and like but for like I knew some of their songs and I really I really liked some of them mm-hmm. and they started playing I got super excited and my wife was just like why, why weren't you born like 40 years ago <laughs> you know why can't you be cool and it's like you didn't marry me because i was cool you actually married me for the opposite reason because i wasn't cool um but yeah just like my uh yeah that's that's so wild that that's what you picked up um um i was on actually this was back when i was a cadet um have you ever heard of buddy was his name and the other fellers no. They're an Eastern European... Well, maybe I'll show you some music after. Yeah, I'd love to. They're an East... Not Eastern European. Eastern Canadian, like, new fee okay. band. Yep. And it's like, I was on... As I, you know, I, I, I talked about it, and my, my dad had a, a cassette in his old Sunfire <laughs> that we would listen to. And one of the songs on it was... Uh, it was about hunting for, for moose. So we'd listen to it while hunting. Oh. And a lot of them I could... I could like I could probably still sing them now. You'd have to play the music so I'd, it would jog my oh, memory yeah. as I'm singing it. Yeah, and just someone was like, how do you know about that? I thought Alberta <laughs> hated the East Coast. So I was like, no, Alberta doesn't hate the East Coast. We just, you know, wish we had more say in spending the money that was generated here. <laughs> yeah. And just, he got... And then there's this other um, other gentleman. Uh, he does uh, Barrett's Privateers. Um, that's a very fond song of, of some of the people in my life. I'll uh, I'll have to. Oh, I don't want that playing. I'll um, let me just write these down so I remember to to show you these after. At least send them to you. Yeah. So Buddy was his name. The other fellers, and then uh, the other one was uh, can't remember his name right now. But the guy who sings Barrett Privateers. That's a that guy's like a like an old school cat that I'm pretty sure he's dead. Okay. Um, that like made a bunch of like very famous songs for for Canadians. I'd, I I um, love my Canadian education, so this is furthering it. Yeah, and uh, but he was his name. Okay. Whilst you're writing that down, there is a group of people that think that Gustav Whitehead. Change from Weisskopf was actually the first person to fly, not the Wright brothers. Really? As the American marketing would suggest. So I came across this information and uh, 
I feel like I want to share it at this point because I find it just a, a very interesting topic. And Okay, tell me about it. Well, so according to um, the Wright brothers, they flew at certain times and they had pictures that have some questionable consistency and congruity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this has been tested by people who built the same sort Replicas. of plane, replica of the same plane, and trying to get that thing to fly today or in the 90s still didn't work yeah as it was suggested it was mm. whereas uh gustav whitehead uh actually created a plane that still today when built in a, as a replica flies and flies very well and actually has some really interesting um aerodynamics and airfoils which helps the well, which helped pioneer pretty much a lot of the aviation industry and where where is this guy from so he was a German. Yeah. Um, but at the time, you know, you didn't really want, uh, especially, there's a lot of marketing that goes into a lot of stories. Yeah. And uh, having a German at front page news uh, is not always, at certain times, wasn't maybe the nicest thing to hear for either morale or for, you know, storylines. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, but incredibly interesting guy and um it was information that i'd come across that i thought was uh, pretty special and hopefully uh by mentioning it just furthering it a little bit more yeah it sounds like uh big plane trying to trying to shut down the german little guy yeah Maybe. well yeah. Uh, <laughs> it's funny right because i mean we were talking just previously about um you know information and how mm-hmm. it's accessibility and, Accessibility and also about how maybe sometimes things have been doctored uh, at certain times, certain scripture or certain notes. People tend to add and, I mean, you know, people have been doing it for years. They take away uh, certain information. Yeah. And um, and throughout history, you know, when conquerors conquer, they try and wipe out a lot of really good information, which is pretty unfortunate, but that seems to be a pattern that we follow. Well, even just like, companies and as the time change and become accepting like they will they will destroy and change things and distance themselves from things just to try and make themselves look better mm. now and instead of like saying yeah we did this and it was wrong and and this is what we learned and, and here's how not to do that in the future because um, that's a bit more it's a bit more useful information than just like sloughing it under the under the rug, but everyone's so concerned with PR. Like we're, we're, we're holding everyone and companies, everything up to like a standard, like a, a standard that's nigh on unattainable. Mm. And then, but if the guy's on my side, I'll, I'll make an excuse for him or, mm. you know, or that's if I, right. if I like this person, right. Like, yeah. like, you know, stuff like, uh, ah, you know what? I don't want to name anything. Mm. I was thinking of, 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 of people who did some bad stuff, but that just sounds, oh, yeah. Sounds sad, but uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Just you know, or even sometimes it'll be conversations where I'll just ha- I'll say something on the lines of like, "Look, like if this happened, it's terrible," but I don't know if it happened. And just like I'm, you know, I don't have to, I don't have to defend mm. the guy. I just have to say, "Hey, like that sounds like that sounds terrible," but I'm not sure that's how that played out. Yeah, you know, sometimes I'll leave um, a conversation or um, uh, 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 a party or something. Um, and yeah, someone will be uh, maybe upset with something that I might have said, or you know, or, or thinking, you know, that I'm condoning something. Like no, 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 like it, like hmm. no standard caveats apply. We should 
we should be as uplifting as possible and help people. Um, and you know, intense not to, not to cause harm, but that's, that's not how I viewed the conversation going or that's not how I viewed this event going, mm. you know, like we definitely, yeah. And, and just being able to be like, you know, we got to take, take good with the bad and then just be able to be like, well, I don't actually have to defend this or that. I just need to be like, well, there's some good. And then if, the, if this happened, you know, mm. then that's terrible. It didn't happen again. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point because it's like, I mean, can you say any one thing is inherently good or bad or one person good or bad? I think we're all a large mixture of a lot of it. And, um, and it's a very human thing. And, you know, circling back to the businesses, it's, uh, you know, it, it would be just nice to hear you go, guys, yeah. I bug it up. Yeah. Uh, we'll get better and let's carry on. And, and what I, but what I would love even more than that is, uh, I, I'm, we're a business. I like, like, obviously we messed up, but just like we're a business. We're not a humanitarian company. Mm. I don't want to get washed up and, you know, anyone, anyone can cut buy Coke. I don't have to tell you that these specific groups can buy it or that mm. these people can't buy it. Anyone can buy Coke. Yeah. You know, just don't, just don't be mean when you're making Coke. <laughs> Yeah. Like, like, don't, don't, don't break any laws, pay your taxes, be reasonable. Yeah. Um, but I, I also don't need everyone crusading, you know, not every, every financial decision I make should be clouded in an ethical, you know, decision of choices. Um, if there's people doing bad stuff, I won't support them, mm. but I don't, I don't need you to, you know, sell me stuff. I just, I saw, um, I recently saw a Bud Light advertisement and it had like rainbows and stuff on it for mm -hmm. for like the LGBT community, mm -hmm. and it was just like, why? Mm -hmm. um, and and like I didn't realize I don't know I didn't realize that people like didn't drink Bud Light because they didn't think that Bud Light supported it, and then like you know it's 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 with the times and it's for money like that's the thing it's for money mm -hmm. it's not for the right reasons they're just like trying to look hip and cool okay and and you know. Yeah, so they're jumping on the the the, the uh, bandwagon. Yeah, the bandwagon of welcome the welcome mat. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I, look, I can't understand why they do certain things. It kind of seems, yeah. It seems if they have to point it out, it's kind of a thing that is maybe, maybe if, not genuine. Maybe if it was nuanced, you know, it just it just feels like they're just trying to sell something too yeah. much right like when it, like when i when i went to kuwait i spent six months with barely any ads yes and then i came back there was ads everywhere and all, all they were trying to do is sell me stuff right whether it was a lifestyle or this or that and it's mm. like hey you know like knowing that a product exists is nice but like mm. you know like it's it's particularly advertising that really like really gets me um and you know like when uh like when pepsi pepsi did the thing with kendall jenner uh, do you remember that advertisement? Okay, Pepsi had an advertisement with Kendall Jenner. She was doing some like photo shoot thing and she was wearing a blonde wig and she saw these people protesting and someone kind of looks at her and tells her to come along and then she like takes her wig off and now she's a brunette. Now she's in the crowd and they go meet these cops She and like it looks like something's going to happen and then like she takes her Pepsi and she hands it to the cop. The cop takes a sip and then everyone has a party. That was the ad. That was the ad. That's phoned in. Wow. That's phoned in. <laughs> <laughs> a lot of people got upset and I think they pulled it which is a very strange thing to get upset about because like oh no, shouldn't we be preaching all this stuff it's like yeah we'll just no yeah I don't think so I don't know it, well, you know what it is personal preference though if you like it like 
have, have at it. You know, if, if you want them to do it, like I, I shouldn't stop you from asking companies to put more of that out. I just, I don't, yeah, I don't like, I think it's just advertisements that irk me. I I'm completely with you on, um, by the way, this is an ad free podcast, right? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, yeah. 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 <laughs> That'd be pretty funny. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, this is a, yeah. This is a perfect sponsor. Uh, on my other podcast, I create fake sponsors, just really funny. Just like fake you know, what fake advertisement. Right now, if we were to do one, Weeks? yeah, no, no, no. I would, I would sell advertising. It was, oh, I would be like, I would good. just like bash advertising and be like, speaking of advertising, do, I would sell the advertisement right now. That's what I would do. You got a thirty second spot. Yeah, you know, thirty seconds. We'll talk about the price. You know, it'd come up right about now. I'd sell that. I'd sell my advertisement so that other people could advertise. That's what I would do. You know, do you gold. do you find yourself, uh, you know, you you're you're looking for more you know, uh, listen, you're looking for more consumers. If you don't know where to get them, uh, I know where this podcast, <laughs> we got 10 views on the last podcast <laughs> uploaded. That's 10 more people that will definitely buy it because I know them. Yeah. That's my mom and her friends listening to this podcast. They will buy whatever you try to sell on this That's podcast. Called influence. Yeah. That influence. <laughs> That's a higher level of influence. You know, yeah, you get Joe Rogan, millions upon millions of people will buy your product. <laughs> But do you want all of my people to buy your product? Oh, that's right, a portion of his people. One percent of people buying the product. Do you want a hundred percent? I can sell you a hundred percent. Sign me up. Yeah, perfect. <laughs> that's hilarious. Yeah, it's speaking about uh, ads, I personally, I can do with a lot less ads in life. Yeah. Um, what I find interesting is reading through a lot of the old, and I've been exposed to it, the old Equinox, the Canadian uh, National Geographic. Oh, okay. The Canadian Geographic. It's incredible in its own right. Um, mm. So it is a similar feel to the National Geographic. And going through that, the ads of yesteryear um, are really interesting to dissect. And it's really interesting to see. And I mean, you can look up these videos on YouTube as well. And some of them are actually quite shocking and and uh, wouldn't be the taste of today. Yeah. But uh, I find them interesting because it says a lot about the time and, and a lot of what's important. Some haven't changed and some have, but uh, the storyline's still similar, just in different a different flavor, really. Yeah. Funnily enough, that now that you mention it, I'm surprisingly more okay with ads in print. I find ads, yeah. I, maybe I was conditioned for it, but I find ads in print less... So like, for example, right, hunting magazine mm-hmm. and I'm, you know, I'm reading and I'm thinking about hunting mm-hmm. and a lot of hunting has to do with products. You need, you need a, a, a rifle, mm-hmm. a scope, ammunition, and you, you know, you can either go to the store to learn about new products and ask people, but like, I've never done that in my life. I've never just gone to a store because I want to learn about the new technology for like canoeing or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'll Google it now. I'll, I'll search it up online, but being able to like on a page, read about something and then like see uh see something I'm, I'm more okay with that as long as it's not too much because if it's too much it becomes tacky mm-hmm. but for for some reason i'm actually surprisingly okay with that now that i'm thinking about it yeah um and i guess maybe they're specific yeah uh, and they're things that you are okay. quite interested in yeah um but i i agree uh print because i can choose to look at it or not yeah but when something shows up on and tv a phone or tv, TV yeah it's like, well, I, I didn't quite, you know, I wasn't ready for that. I didn't ask for that. Yeah. I yeah. Dinner first, and then you can show me your goods. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, Christmas catalogs. Mm. That's what I first was thinking of. And it's like, 
that's an ad. But I'm I'm like before there was online and you could just search for what people are selling. Like that was that was the way to figure out what products are out there. And like there, I think it was Sears used to sell log cabins back in like the 1800s. Yeah, and you could order a log cabin to get shipped to you (laughs) with instructions, and then you build the log cabin. I feel like it was Sears or some other like you know uh, defunct Canadian company like that. And you would order it from a magazine, and you would mail them the order, and they would uh, they would ship it by rail to you and you could you could take it all and then go build your cabin that would be cool that would be cool i was just thinking in some of these old magazines they still have numbers and addresses of old businesses and you mail in your order uh it'd be funny if you actually mail in and see if that would be received or not today and let's see if you could start a conversation with somebody probably just get lost in yeah in transit yeah probably but uh but it's yeah, some of the print ads, they're I think they're much more palatable than mm-hmm. than uh, a lot of electronic stuff. And but ads in general, I think you're right. Like the time that you had away from ads, I mean, they don't always add value. And if you're looking for, you know, a life that's filled with value, you know, sometimes not hearing about how much you need something that you don't really need, yeah, is a good thing. Well, there's a stretch between Canmore and Calgary, where you know, you're driving and it's gorgeous. Mm. You got the Rocky Mountains in the background, and then all of a sudden, for like ten kilometers, every kilometer there's an ad. It's a giant ad right? on the side of the yeah. road, and it's like, <sighs> mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. It, it yeah. takes away from you know what you're there for, yeah. which is not, you know, whatever yeah. it happened to be advertising at that yeah. point. Yeah, they're, they're just trying to plant a thought, yeah, that, that you didn't ask for. Yeah, and it's it's funny, right? Because uh, when I heard this, it was incredible. So uh, the neuroscientists say six to eight exposures, mm-hmm. um, and you are already influenced by something, or yeah. you, 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 and you can't not undo that, which is you know such an incredibly powerful thing. So they know that if you know they get you on the radio on the way to work, they have a billboard that you go past on your way to work. Mm-hmm. They get you at your computer when you're at work. They get you on your phone in the afternoon when you're checking your phone and not doing work. And then again on the radio when you get back home or TV at night. It's like, you know, we are continually bombarded with uh, thoughts and ideas about how to live, how to purchase. Um, and it's some of it's not necessarily with the greatest intent. So, um, And a lot of people are unfortunately not quite open to that um that viewpoint mm-hmm. um, and it's easy to just um it's easy to be overwhelmed by it because you know when you start paying attention to how much you're influenced by a lot of outside information and and uh, how much you have a choice of actually listening to you don't have a lot of choice in listening to a lot of information well i mean and this is something that i've been telling people for for quite some time you know what change do you want to make in your life you want to go to the gym more Find friends that go to the gym and spend as much as time as possible mm. with them. You want to become more exactly. open, find open people and spend as much as time with them as possible. They will rub off on you. If you, yeah. you want to pick up a new skill, hang out with you know instruments, hang out with musicians. Doesn't even have to be your you know they don't even have to play the same uh, instrument as you mm-hmm. you know. But like number one way to influence yourself is just to choose what you're who you're going to spend time with, and mm-hmm. it's it's not really what it's who. Yeah, and they will they will rub off on you, and you'll rub off on them, yeah. in a very good way. And 
I remember um, I, I had an ex and I went to like with from a completely different friend group and I went to one of the parties mm-hmm. and I was there and there was this like um, there's a, a young man, um, good looking guy, uh, Spider-Man costume. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, 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 he was selling tires at Costco mm-hmm. and like changing tires. And I was like, Oh, like, are you, are you trying to become a mechanic? Do you think you're going to go try and get a blue book? Are you testing this out? He's like, Nope. Like, oh, well, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm working at Costco. And then like, I looked around and like, yeah, no one, was doing anything mm-hmm. um and if you're content with that like you know that's actually probably better than not being content with it because mm-hmm. then you're going to be constantly trying to fill a hole but i was like so spread and i realized yeah like part of why i'm always saying yes and doing things is because my friends and family and close acquaintances are doing yes and doing everything in the army right like that pursuit of excellence that mm-hmm. the army has um I was pursuing the same excellence and it rubbed off on me. Yep. And even this conversation here, right? Like we got, I got someone to learn about, you got some music to listen to. Mm-hmm. Um, like we're rubbing off on each other. And so, yeah, if you, um, you know, if you're looking to, you know, like I actually was looking at divorce rates recently uh, for some reason, me and the wife, we get in very interesting conversations mm-hmm. that aren't usually arguments. Um, but like, just like, and then like, you're pulling up weird stats, trying to figure stuff out. Oh yeah. And, uh, the number way to like combat against divorce is, uh, don't spend time with divorced people. <laughs> like, well, that makes complete sense. Yeah. Well, maybe not the number one, but I think it was like, it was like 30, like 30% more likely mm-hmm. if your if, if you have a friend or your spouse has a friend mm-hmm. that's divorced and it's like. Yeah, that sometimes makes sense because looking back at the other groups that I've seen, um, people are just getting married right now. Someone's getting divorced right now in my my life. I mean, that's a very short, very short marriage. But um, yeah, there's just groups where that's what happened. Like all of them almost got divorced. And yeah, so just if that doesn't tell you anything, um, aside from don't hang out with divorced people if you don't want to be divorced, uh, find whatever you're interested, whatever you're trying to do, whether you're trying to lose weight or learn a new skill or learn a language, be with people who speak the language. Like that's it. Exactly. That's it. Surrounding yourself with what you and who you want to be like. Uh, Yeah, it it works. I mean, adopt and trait transference. It's incredible. It's very, uh, what's tough though. And what I've seen, some people have a very tough time with though, is like cutting the negative influences out. Mm. Um, Particularly when like, when they're friends, but like, you know, I remember asking someone once, you know, like, why are you friends with this person? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, you know, walk me through this. Yes, they're here. It's convenient. But is your friendship built on convenience? Mm -hmm. When was the last time they asked you to do something? Yeah. You know, and like, I've seen this one person in my life, their friend group is completely changed and like, for like, so much better. And like, just, and like, I'm just so happy for them and just like seeing all these amazing people and you can tell that they're happier Mm -hmm. and they're supported and everyone's supporting each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just wow. It's, uh, it has a, it has a huge impact. So you really need to surround yourself by the right people. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. But with that, I think we'll, uh, we'll cut it here for today. I wouldn't be surprised if we do this again though, before I go or, or over, uh, over Skype or something, if they allow Skype there. But uh, thanks very much for coming on, Jay. Jay Thank Johnson. You for having me. Yeah, no worries. Um, and yeah, thanks for listening. And we'll uh, 
catch you later and hopefully i'll see you in the uae absolutely or it's I'll, been a good conversation yeah I and if i it. if i don't make it there i'll i'll see you here yeah so <laughs> all right take okay. care bye-bye bye, -bye. bye.